Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. share this week's episode where I'm joined by the fabulous Bridget Finclair, who's author of Red Dress. I think that people on a spiritual path have probably chosen at soul level to have a spiritual path and they've probably always been spiritual but what's happens is it gets clamped down in childhood because it's not okay to be spiritual. It's not okay to have an imaginary friend that you talk to. It's not okay to know things you're not supposed to know or have intuition or insight or be psychic. So because we won't fit in with society so we close it down and particularly in teenagehood I think we kind of close all that down because we want to fit in and be normal with everybody else. And I think that's what happened to me and then I went through into my you know it was in the 80s when I moved to London and it was all that sort of you know uh, you got a, the Thatcher years where you had to be successful and make money and all of that stuff so you just close off any spirituality but my guess is that it was always there. Join us today as we learn about Bridget's unique journey all through spirituality and life itself. I am joined by the gorgeous Bridget Finclair, who's the author of the amazing Red Dress book. She's also an amazing spiritual teacher. So hello there, Bridget. Hello, Shelley. Thank you for having me on. It's lovely to meet you online at last. Bless you. I'm so kind of excited and a little bit starstruck because I'm currently reading your book and it feels a bit surreal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, awesome. I'm trying to be all things calm, thinking, oh my God, I'm interviewing the person I'm reading. (laughs) that's lovely (laughs) bless you so I'm reading Red Dress which is an amazing story but bless you credit where credit's due you've got your own amazing true life story so please start to share about your story of positive changes okay thank you so um I don't know where to begin really but I think that what I'm going to begin is that I had quite a challenging childhood in terms of mental emotional spiritual um, upbringing there was nothing physical going on in my family um, but it was very challenging um, I don't really need to go into the details of that I don't think with the viewer but um, it left me quite um, not believe no, no self zero self-belief actually I kind of felt like the Cinderella of the world or the Dobby the house elf that was kind <laughs> of how I felt in the world that I didn't have a place in the world and I was useless and 
I've healed it all now because I was a therapist and I've forgiven my parents and I realized that actually they shaped who I am today. So I'm enormously grateful now. But what happened is when I left home, which was in sort of my late teens, I kind of did that fake it till you make it. And I put the brave face on and I pretended to be positive. And I think there's a difference between pretending everything's hunky-dory and it really being hunky-dory. So I went off and lived in London and I worked in public relations and I worked in the film industry and I had a flat in a nice part of London and I had this what would look like an enviable life, but it was really just a mask. And behind that mask was actually quite sad, quite depressed um, and not very fulfilled, not really wondering who I was, what was my place in the world, quite fragile, um, and also really getting into terrible relationships. And it wasn't really working for me. And I realized it was just a mask. And so what happened is when I got to about the age of 30, I had my daughter and then shortly afterwards, well, two years afterwards, I had my son and it was becoming a mother that actually was that turning point for me that kickstarted me into being deciding to go onto a positive path, because I think I wanted to look after this beautiful little baby that I'd had and be the best mum I could be. And I realised that the role model of my parents probably wasn't quite right. And I also realised I was burning out um, at the stress of trying to be the perfect mother. And that wasn't good for me or them. And it, that actually led me at the one point to open a spiritual path at the very beginnings of that. I was actually into feng shui and things like that, looking at energies in houses. Um, and then I also ended up going and having counselling because I really wanted to kind of uncover who I was, what was it about, and look at where those um, bones were buried, if you like. Where was all that stuff that I'd hidden from the world? so that I could be authentic and show up authentically and be more in alignment with who I was and um, and actually believe in who I was and actually believe that I could be a good mom and I could look after these children and I had the ability to do it. Um, so that's what really started me off on my path. I love that. It made me sort of smile because I'm thinking, you know, we become a parent because we love children, we want that extension of ourselves. But I must say it's really relatable because I think, I've learned more about life and my children than I ever thought I would. Yeah, and bless them. I think they can really, really be our teachers, can't they? Um, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, like you, I wanted, I always wanted to have children. I wanted to be a mum. And uh, I wanted to just give them a really great life and be there and support them and really give them everything that I didn't have. That's actually the truth of it. And I think we do that. It's like a swing of the pendulum. We try to we kind of sometimes do the opposite of what happened to us because we want to give them the opportunities that we didn't have. But in the, in the process of that, it kind of exhausted me. And then and I didn't know whether I was doing it right and it was all getting too much and on top of me. So that's what actually started me going off to have this therapy and this counselling, which kind of got me back on track to a degree. Yeah. And you yeah. spoke about counselling, like the talking therapies, but you said about spirituality. So what happened to you there? I think that people on a spiritual path have probably chosen at soul level to have a spiritual path and they've probably always been spiritual but what happens is it gets clamped down in childhood because it's not 
okay to be spiritual. It's not okay to have an imaginary friend that you talk to. It's not okay to know things you're not supposed to know or have intuition or insight or be psychic. So, because we won't fit in with society. So we close it down. And particularly in teenagehood, I think we kind of close all that down because we want to fit in and be normal with everybody else. And I think that's what happened to me. And then I went through into my, you know, it was in the eighties when I moved to London and it was all that sort of, you know, uh, got a, the Thatcher years where you had to be successful and make money and all of that stuff. So you just close off any spirituality. But as my guess is that it was always there. My mother, my grandmother, sorry, used to tell the tea leaves and she used to be very superstitious and she was kind of quite witchy energy. I really loved my grandmother as well. So I think they've got something from there as well. She was very psychic. Um, and I think, yeah, having children, I gave up work. And so I gave up working in public relations and I gave up that whole, I actually moved away from London as well. So it was like stepping out of the matrix, really, stepping out of that, ex, the, the, the life I was expected to lead. You know, and, and my parents would expect me to go on to be successful, to earn money, to, you know, look polished and stylish and, uh, you know, all the rest of it and to have all the markers of success, the shiny markers of success. That was what was expected. But I was just playing a game. I was playing a role. But coming out of that role, coming out of the city um, and moving away and having children and giving up my career gave me time to stop and think. And I think the softer side of us, when you have children, the mothering instinct comes in. So that that wanting to nurture, getting to know other friends who've got um, children, all the mums chatting, trying to have a conversation and the kids get in the way, don't they? And then the playfulness as well and the creativity of wanting to take your kids to places. All of that opened up this side of me that I had shut off. And I got, first of all, interested, really interested in feng shui and how changing your house and the color of a room or putting a crystal in a corner was going to change things in your life. I found that infinitely fascinating. So I went on this whole journey with that. And then kind of from there, I learned how to work with energy and how to space clear and fixed geopathic stress and all kinds of things. So I just became more and more into this working with energy. Then somebody said, you've got to go and do Tai Chi. So I did Tai Chi for a while. Didn't really like it that much. Did a bit of Qigong, then went into yoga. And then from there, I had a friend who was actually my daughter's, when my daughter started school at five, she had a best friend. The best friend's mom was a Reiki master. And she was into all kinds of spiritual stuff. And I got on with her really well. And she said, can you feng shui my house? I went, yeah, sure. And she goes, can we do it as a swap and I'll teach you Reiki? And I went, yeah, sure. Okay. So <laughs> she taught me Reiki. I ended up becoming a Reiki master. And then you've got to kind of go, okay, where's this energy coming from? And how am I healing these people? And then of course, as soon as you do that, you start meeting your guide, your Reiki guides. And all of a sudden, this whole other world opens up to you because it's nothing to do with our five senses. And then you have to go. And it was, um, I felt like a, you know, a fish in water with it. It was more, you know, I just was able to dive into that world and it felt completely natural and normal and exciting and exhilarating and fulfilling. I didn't go with trepidation like Katie in the book. I kind of went dive, dive, <laughs> dived straight in, like, oh, give me more of this. But at the same time, I was kind of trying to hide that from my family and from my ex-husband because I knew that they would be super critical and I didn't want, it felt like it was a fragile thing that I didn't want pierced by their cynicism so it was something that i would try and kind of play down all the time and it's over here oh it's just this thing over here it's just this thing over here um, and then of course it got too big to do that so it became 
hugely important in my life. But I think any spiritual path starts with some little thing like that. And then that just felt like I was being fast tracked. And then it was just the universe was just giving me one step after the other. And it just kind of still going now. So yeah. I'm ever grateful for that path. No, I love that because when you're saying like you're growing up and kind of put this mask on, we have to sort of like marry that man, do that job. That's what the parents say. And then there was this whole spiritual awakening, but then there was another mask, like the spiritual mask, like, oh my God, like, you know, I work with energy. And it's sad, isn't it, that we feel we have to justify or total hide who we're becoming. I think that's really sad, but then so true, isn't it, as well? Yeah, and I think for me, because my father was an engineer, so he's very, very, you know, nuts and bolts and rational mind. He was a mathematician and an engineer. And I had four brothers. So they were all really, and they were all really sort of like um, very left-brained, if you like. And um, so to fit in in that family, I had to be like a bit, like I had to think like a man. And so to do anything woo-woo, I was just going to be humiliated. So that's why I hid it. But uh, it's interesting because I think, you know, that's part of the cosmic joke is so you're kind of born into a family that's totally rational and you're completely intuitive you know it's like you're the opposite of what you you're conditioned to be yeah so no I, I love that I I kind of sadly smiled because our daughter's just recently turned 11 and I got very excited because I'm sort of oh, power number and for her birthday I bought her some oracle cards she loves like all the mythology and so I bought them for her and she loved them she cried with joy but she's about to start secondary school. And I felt that I had to have this conversation, like just because I bought that, then maybe not tell your mates you do card readings. And it's sad, isn't it? Because actually, if it's a tool that helps her with their anxiety of starting secondary school, why not? But I feel that even as this hippie mother, I've got a whole office full of crystals and books and, you know, you name it, witchiness, it's all around. But even I feel that I have to protect her from the judgment of others. when realistically, you'll be judged anyway because that's kind of what kids are these days I think we're all judged anyway and it's that thing you can't please all the people all of the time and not everybody's going to like you and if you try to be that person that everybody's going to like you're going to twist yourself in knots and not be true to yourself so ultimately you have to be true to yourself and your own core values and find your tribe so um it took me uh, many years to learn about boundaries you know what's okay and what's not okay and how do you put those boundaries in place and how do you protect and really a boundary is protecting yourself from people who are being horrible to you which they are and i mean kids especially at that age can be really horrible but um sometimes maybe there's lessons in there of resilience i don't know it's such a difficult question to answer i mean i do think you're right that it's sad that we have to hide that because we're living in a society that doesn't value it, that yeah. doesn't place any value on that. It places places value on success, and it places value on what you can touch and feel and see and smell and sense with your senses. It doesn't place value on the intuitive mind. I've got this wonderful quote. I've got it pinned on my wall, so I'm kind of looking up there um, to get it right. Because and it's Einstein. Now we think of Einstein as being this incredible genius, this scientist, you know, who um, you know invented the theory of relativity and just advanced science hugely. And this quote from him, and you can look it up. It says, "The intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a faithful servant." But we've created a society that honours the servant and has forgotten the gift.
And that's why we worry about our daughter going to school with her cards and (laughs) saying, yeah, I'm doing a card reading or because that intuitive mind, which is what that's part of the creative mind, the intuitive mind, all of that's been denigrated. And I think that's the same with qualities of the feminine. And when I talk about the feminine, I'm not just talking about women. I think we all carry the energy of the divine feminine, the divine masculine, and they need to be in balance like that yin yang thing. And um, what's happened, I think, in societies is we valued all the values of the masculine, which is to go out there and do, 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 and be successful and take action. Now, we do need that. We mustn't swing the other way. But we've forgotten about the receiving and the yielding and all of the qualities of the feminine, which is around wisdom, which is around working together in in teamwork. It's about caring about other people, caring about the planet, supporting each other, nurturing all of these real gentleness, kindness, all laughter, joy, working together. You remember like when the women used to get around the table and make the quilt together and they'd all be talking and telling stories. Mm all of that in modern society we've kind of gone that's that has no value but actually it's got huge value we think we need to bring it back and get it back into balance you know go out there and do 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 yeah so it's an inter- such an interesting topic Sorry. yeah no i love it no i love it so you like had this mask that almost you hid your spirituality because you come from a very male sort of household but I know you do huge spiritual work now so how did you stay true to your spirituality not true to who you are I think it was just that constant evolving of the self and it's an unfoldment. And if you think about um, a rosebud, if you try to just unfold that with your fingers, you'd break the whole thing. But if you stick that in the sun and allow it to unfold, it will unfold in its right time and the whole thing will completely unfold. Or, Or one of those origami things that you unfold and it becomes this great lotus or something. So I think that's how my spiritual path happened. It started off as that little budding thing of doing feng shui and being interested in my grandmother when I was a child and actually used to have a little childhood imaginary friend, which I'm sure I was channeling. It starts with that and then slowly you start to see things and the more that you do, the more you understand that's this spiritual side and that you have to own it. And I think at some point you realise that your soul's probably signed up for this and you've chosen it and you haven't really got much choice in it anyway because you're <laughs> kind of being guided by a greater force. And I remember, you know, even early on with the feng shui work, this is a long time ago, talking sort of like 29, 28 years ago, is that sort of measure. I remember going to a, um, a, a course at the um, Rudolf Steiner House in London for the Feng Shui Society. And I had a woman there and she said, we're going to put these coloured bits, you know, the coloured paper that kids play with, like origami paper. She said, we're going to put these coloured bits of paper over your head like that. And you're going to close your eyes and tell me what colour they are. And I managed to get every single one right. (laughs) How did I do that? I got no idea. And then things like I remember going to Mind, Body, Spirit, and we would do things like we'd pick up a stone, say. I mean, I've got some stones. We'd pick up a this is a crystal, but you'd pick up a stone and they'd go, where does this stone come from? And, I'd, and everybody would be going, oh, a beach. And I'd be going, no, I'm getting this really hot. And they go, you're right, it's coming from Sedona or something like that. It's in the desert. So then I thought, okay, well, how come I've got this ability? I didn't even know I had it. So I had to, I couldn't ignore that. And so even though I kept it secret for a long time, I just had to keep going. I was compelled to continue on that spiritual journey until eventually I got to a point and at the same time that spiritual journey was going by the way that my therapy journey was going because having gone through two years of therapy uh, sort of counseling really I decided that I wanted to become a therapist so I went and trained as a psychotherapist 
and a therapist. And when you do that training as a therapist and psychotherapist, you're helping a lot of other people, but you're helping yourself as well. You're healing yourself. So I was healing my past and healing all of the wounding that I had from that challenging childhood. And the more that I healed, the stronger I got. And the stronger I got, the more I was able to own the spiritual path. Till in the end, I didn't care what my brothers and my dad were going to say, because this was my truth. And I couldn't deny that truth anymore. I had to be in alignment with what my core values were. Um, so, and then it got to the point where I was working in Harley Street as a therapist. And again, you know, you're working in Harley Street as a psychotherapist. You're meant to be really straight-laced psychotherapists. And I wasn't. And it would be like, oh, no, well, well I'm going to I'm going to put a couch in here and do healing. I'm going to do Reiki healing for you. You know, like, We're going to work with some crystals. I'm going to give you this crystal. And um, I'm going to space clear the room with some sage. And I, I just would try and hide it and then in the end I thought oh, what's the point in hiding this I'm getting really good results and I was weaving together both the, the psychotherapy side of things and the healing side and this is again that sort of balancing of the masculine and the feminine and the left and right brain and I was starting to get really good results and I just thought Do you know what as long as my clients are happy and I'm getting results and they're getting better and they're moving on in their lives and they're happier and they're more fulfilled I don't care how I'm doing it I'm going to carry on doing it and so I stopped hiding things and then when I moved to South Africa, which was nine years ago, at that point, I felt completely free to be myself because there was no family. There was no London. I wasn't a psychotherapist anymore. Um, I didn't have clients I had to look after. I did have one, couple, one or two online clients, but I was then um, uh, co coaching people in their intuition. So I was working with intuition. And so that the, it was a big step for me. to, And I did a lot of things like land clearing in South Africa and really wacky things like going and collecting bits of old past lives that I'd had that I'd left in bits of Africa and, and all kinds of land readings and intuitive work. And I found my tribe. I found the friends that were also into that. And then it was normal to be like that. And my brothers and my family are, you know, a hemisphere away from me. So, <laughs> you know, when I talk to them, I don't talk to them about that stuff. So it became, it's, as the time has gone on, it's become easier and easier and easier. And then about two years ago, I actually stopped saying I'm a psychotherapist and said I'm a spiritual teacher and that was huge it was like shifting into the energy of that and owning it so it's been it's been an organic growth really it's been a journey like everything it's a journey yeah I think that's just so powerful that as you say that unfolding and that I just could really visualize like this like rosebud unfolding rather than forcing it like I, I would be a petal puller Bridget if I'm honest I mean <laughs> a, bit, a bit of an impatient soul yeah I'd be there like you know minor surgery going on but it's just happened naturally and it makes it well for me from the outside looking in because you've allowed it it's probably been a quicker process the unfolding yeah, and I think I don't not saying it's a walk in the park. Hey, there's been lots of challenges <laughs> along the way, and lots of times when you're gripping on to reality and you're not wanting to go, and there's resistance there, and then spirit are nudging you from behind. You know, <laughs> um, it, it, even with writing Red Dress, you know, I was resistant to writing it for oh, about eight months before eventually spirit will go. No, you've got, no, 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 you've got to. Do got to do this um no i don't want to write a novel yes you've got to you know so i think that happens um but in in red dress it, right near the beginning i don't think i'm giving much away by saying that she hands over to god she hands her life over to god she doesn't even not sure she even believes in god calls it the g word um but she hands over to god and i actually did the same thing 
And that's what really started fast tracking everything. The minute I did that, it was like I went on a roller coaster um, and my whole life just went woo, and it's like some other force took over. And if we think about something like, say, the 12 step program that addicts work with, um, I can't remember which, I think it's step three is hand over to a power, higher power. You have to admit that you have no control over the addiction and you're going to hand it over to a, a higher power as, or God as you know it. It doesn't say, it doesn't have to be God, it can be a higher power. And that's part of the power of the 12 step program is that you're going, I can't control my addiction or my alcoholism or whatever it is and I'm going to hand it over to a higher power and that's often what sets people on that path to recovery and I think that's a really powerful thing to do and you don't have to be an addict to do that um, you can just simply go there's a higher bigger more intelligent more powerful even just if you look, believe in the universe and you don't believe in anything else if you just even believe in mother nature Mother Nature is hugely powerful and knows what she's doing. You know, certain trees don't stress, do they? Oh, I haven't <laughs> got my leaves out in time. So, and you know, if we if you observe nature, you just see the power of it. I think, and you can see that there is some kind of divine creation in there. I think even mathematicians nowadays are saying there's a divine order. There is a there's a powerful order within the universe underlying it. So if we can say, look, there's some kind of like amazing intelligence out there that's created all of this, and what if, I think it was Marianne Williamson that said, why would I try to control my life when I can use the power that makes the planet turn and makes it go around the sun? <laughs> you think, yeah, that's true. You know, so I think the minute you realise that you yourself, the little you, is not the be all and end all, and that there's much more powerful forces within the universe, and you know, we can go into it, how many of them are benevolent and not, but there are benevolent, good, powerful, divine, intelligent forces within the universe. And if you go, okay, I surrender to that, I, I allow that to take me on my journey, life becomes easier. It doesn't mean you don't struggle, but it does, or you don't try to take control. Um, it's like going down a very fast water slide and you think, oh, can I go over and try to sides and try to stop myself? But the, ultimately the water will take you down. Um, and I think that's, so if you surrender to a spiritual path, I mean, there's a lot to be said for surrendering to that higher power and going, okay, what's my sole purpose? What am I here to do? I choose to just live. I mean, choice is huge. What am I here to do? Who am I? What's my sole purpose? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm just going to choose to live it. Can you show me the way? You will get shown the way. Magic will happen. Doors will open. Pathways will open. But I think the this kind of touches into the bone circle work because in the bone circle training, the very first thing I teach is that there's kind of like two of you. You've got the little self, which is you in this earthly suit. You know, there's the little you that's kind of largely conditioned and programmed in childhood that doesn't feel enough, doesn't feel good enough, doesn't feel powerful enough. Um, feels I've got to do it all perfectly, doesn't feel worthy. They're, everybody's got these, by the way. Um, you know, feels that they've got to control everything, um, is afraid, um, uh, is angry, doesn't feel they're able to do it. Th th there's a whole load of stuff. We work with 12 key core beliefs that everybody has. And they're all programmed into us, um, no matter what your childhood. If you had a brilliant childhood, you'll still have wounding. <laughs> if you had a terrible childhood, you'll have wounding. It's just the degree of how badly. But there's that small self that feels alone in the world, that feels that they've got to do it all and, they, and it's hard and, and life can get you down. And 
stop you and things happen and oh it feels like it's being tossed and turned on the waves of life so that's the small self and sometimes that's lovely because you're in the you know in the lagoon and in the sunshine and it's great and other times you're in the storm and you get buffeted by whatever's going on so there's the small self but we've also got a greater self we've all got a greater self and the greater self for me is like the soul self or it's like the luminous amazing beings that we really are and you see that with people who've had near-death experiences when if you look at the accounts of near-death experience they always say oh i'm this huge luminous being that can see everything and contact with everything i'm just surrounded by love and i've got to get back into that little tiny body and um so there's your small self that little tiny body that thinks it's not enough and then you've got this massive luminous stuff that's self that's so powerful and really it's the small self that tries to hold on to the control and the bigger self is trying to push you and go, no, 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 but we can do this and it's fine and it's okay. So when you surrender, you're kind of allowing that greater part of you to take the reins and steer your course, which is frightening for the little bit, <laughs> little one that's going, oh, but everything I need to keep safe. But it's encouraging, isn't it? And I think you said about um, Marianne Williamson earlier, and she does one of my favourite quotes, and it's something along the lines of, that we're not afraid of staying small, we're actually afraid of just how powerful we are. And I think we don't dare to see our greatest potential or live our biggest dreams or go for the biggest, most scary thing we could possibly go for. And I think it's a wonderful reminder. Yeah, I like that quote as well. It's absolutely brilliant. And she's right. And it's true that we just, we do, what, me, little me, I can't do that. Yeah. Who am I? Who am I to do that? Yeah. I love how you're talking about like this unfolding and like going with the flow and kind of surrendering. But do you have to be aware in that or are we just literally sitting back and just going like, go on then, have a go, show me the way. <laughs> I think we're all guided at to the way that works for us because we're all individual and we've all got a different way of doing things. I mean, there is that book, The Surrender Experiment, isn't there? That, I can't remember the name of the guy, um, where he just surrenders to everything. But I, I would caution here He's able to surrender to everything because he happens to be in a like a permanent meditative space because he has an experience a little bit like Eckhart Tolle had that experience where he saw himself and he goes, I'm so depressed. He goes, well, who's the me that's seeing that I'm depressed? There's two of me, you see. So um, if you are able to tap into your intuition and if you are able to find stillness and meditate and tap into the greater mind, and the greater insights that are going to be given to you, then you can just surrender to everything because you're just going to go with what's given to you. But if you don't have any kind of practice of stillness and you're not very intuitive and you're not connected to that intuitive mind or your intuition or your psychic ability, you don't have stillness in your life, then to completely surrender is um, could be suicidal because then you don't know where you're going, do you? So I think... I, I think there's a power if people feel able to do it and they're genuine in it to say, I believe that there is a, a source or divine source or God or whatever you want to call that in there. All the different could be doesn't matter what the name is, just there's different cultures. And I believe that being has my back. I believe I have a greatness and I believe I have a greater self and I am I surrender to the will of that greater self. I think you could do that out loud or you could do it in meditation or you could light a little candle or you could make a fire in the garden and make a ceremony of it. But I think you'd have to mean it 
to do it. It's like you're just sort of saying it. But I think there's power in that. But at the, at the same time, just be prepared for what's going to happen afterwards. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think if, if you are at a point in your life where you're eight, you feel confident to do it, it's, it's probably one of the most powerful things you can do just to surrender to that higher self. Yeah, no, I love it. And as I said, a bit of a crush on you because I'm currently reading Red Dress. And in there, it's got everything. It's got feng shui, meditation, contemplation. What else? We've got channeling, numerology, soul reading. She's done it all. And I love it. She's having a blast, bless her. How much of that is Bridget and how much of that is Katie, the character? (laughs) It's uh, one of those things. It's really difficult. I mean, some people have said, oh, it's quite autobiographical. And I said, in a way, but in a way not. I mean, Katie is her own character. Um, There's bits of Katie that are me. you know, obviously, I am a I am a therapist, and so is she. I do have two children, so does she. I did live in West London. I didn't live where she lives. Actually, I lived somewhere different. Um, she's only just going on that spiritual journey now, isn't she? And she's a bit doing it with trepidation, like, oh, I don't know, and you know, she goes, oh, I'm not sure about this. Am I just be, you know, I've just wasted all that money to be told that I like talking and stuff like that. So she's she's just on that beginning of that journey. And for me, by the time I was her age and living that life, I'd been on that journey for you know 20 odd years um so but there are still uh, so it's a fiction and she's her own person but there's things about her that are me 20 years ago there's things about her that are me now and there's things about her that are just friends i know and people i know and things about her that are just her that's just you know developed as a character um she loves dark chocolate and so do i and she loves driving fast and so do i she's a therapist (laughs) and so am i um, and some of the some of the things she does, I've done. Like I've done Aura Soma, and I have done Reiki, and I have I do meditate. So uh, the, the techniques in there are, are certainly things that I've done. But the rest of it is fiction. And there's a lot of me in. So she's got a friend called Shanti who knows everything about everything, anything about everything spiritual. Who's quietly spoken and introvert. And in a way, I'm also Shanti. And in a way, I'm also. She's got a she. So she's a therapist. So she has supervision from her supervisor, who's called Terry. And there's bits of me in Terry as well. And there's bits of me in the voice as well. And then, but they're all their own people. So it's one of those things, I think, as an author, you're drawing on your own experience in your own life. And I wanted to write Red Dress as a novel so that it would be a fun read for people who might want to, either for people who are already on the spiritual path who understand all those things and get all the in jokes, or people who are thinking of dipping their toes into that path and just don't want to get into some big serious book, but just want to a lighthearted read, enjoy that read on holiday. So that's why it was, um, why I wrote it that way. Um, so I lost track of where I am now. So yeah, you can take you can take that spiritual journey and look at it, but it, at the end of the day, um, I, there were things in there I wanted to put in and I wanted to write those from experience so they're real, so that all the things in there are real and authentic, even the things around 12 step and the stuff around the therapy sessions everything she does is a real thing that the reader can go and do so to do that i had to write from experience but at the same time i wanted it to be fiction i did not want it to be an autobiography so katie is her own person but there's a lot of her that's me yeah no i absolutely (laughs) love your book i truly do thank you you've shared so much today but just to conclude it if there was one positive change people could make today if they're leaving behind a mask what's the one positive change you would recommend Oh, my goodness. I mean, you asked me to do one and it's so difficult to find one. But I think awareness is huge. It's just to become aware that they're wearing that mask and they want to make the positive change because you can't make a positive change if you haven't acknowledged 
that you're not where you want to be. Um, and so for me, one of the most powerful things people can do is to see what's going on, become aware of it, acknowledge it, and then make a choice choosing i'm going to get out of here i'm going to find my path i'm going to be more in alignment I, i'm choosing to live a better life with let go of this mask and find out who i am and i mentioned before to you that meditation or stillness is a really good tool for awareness so to become aware and to know what direction you want to go in and what positive changes you want to make being still or meditating it doesn't matter what type of meditation even if you just sit out in your garden and close your eyes and listen to the birds. But going within, closing your eyes, sitting still is a really good way of becoming aware. And then from there, you can choose what positive steps you want to take. Bridget Finclair, I've absolutely loved sharing your journey today. Thank you so much for joining us. Shelley, thank you so much for having me on. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. I've loved every moment. Bless you. Take care out there. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at ShellyFKnight, life goes on. As always, I've been Shelley F. Knight and you've been amazing.